In this week's episode, we'll be discussing sexual reproduction in fish. While we feel that it is important for people of all ages to learn about the science of reproduction, we're really immature and we'll probably get a bit blue in our discussion. So consider this your content warning for mature content ahead. This podcast is brought to you by the lionfish. Ever wish you could see a fish named after a lion but looks more like a zebra? Lionfish, the horribly invasive scourge of the sea. Welcome everyone to Getting Fishy With It. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm Christine. And I'm Amber. And today we're going to be talking about fish reproduction, y'all. But before we do that, let's get into what's new with everyone. Christine, you want to start? Uh, well, we're kind of recording this stuff back to back. We just recorded last week as well. A little behind the pod for everyone because I'm about to like shirk responsibilities and go to the woods for a week. So um, nothing really new here. It rained here for like two days straight, which is completely unheard of. And it caused all kinds of flooding and like mm. it completely washed out the the path, I the bike path I take to work. So I had a fun morning where I had to. I usually ride a scooter in or a bike into work and I got stuck in the mud this morning. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, there was so much mud. Like it was wild. And it's like this really slick, like slippery stuff. And uh, so I got to work. I had to like try to scrape all the mud off of everything because I didn't want to have to like drag it into the fish facility. <laughs> so I'm just like standing on the side of the road, like trying to use the grass to get like all the mud off of everything. <laughs> just like yeah this looks great i'm just a loser on a scooter that's covered in mud and i'm covered in mud but yeah it, it's really weird like we're so not used to getting this kind of rain here it's mm. good as they say in colorado we need the moisture they love to say that <laughs> but uh and it is good like everything's nice and green now but like nothing is built for that kind of rain here so but that's pretty much it with me i'm just getting ready to go on vacation tomorrow so Woo! yeah Lucky you. Excited for you. Thanks. <laughs> How about you, Amber? Nothing really new with me. Next month, I will be going to UC Merced to do this research externship. Mm. So that'll be exciting. It's for MISS, which is a Minorities in Shark Sciences. It's a nonprofit organization where they try and get people into the field of shark sciences. And so I applied last year. It's been kind of like a year long hybrid type of program where I get to go to these seminars and learn more about shark sciences and also about ocean sciences. And then at the end of it, um, we all get to go on kind of like this like excursion. And so I'm in the lab techniques portion of it. And so I'll be learning from this PI over at UC Merced. That's Amazing. awesome. Yeah. I really want you to like talk about that on the pod at some point. I think that'd be awesome to share your experiences. Yeah. And if we could also bring on somebody from Miss, yeah. that would be great too. They are <laughs> a wonderful organization. Yay. Doing wonderful things. Yeah. Well, you're gonna no. go be our ambassador anyway, right? So you're gonna there be you like go. you're recruiting while you're out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. Cool. We'll get you a backpack. We got to yeah, make yeah. some swag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you, Josh? What's new with you? I do. I feel like there was something important to share, but now I forgot. So I'm just going to say what I did today was it was nice weather out and I took the day off from work and I cleaned the whole apartment. I like cleaned and organized. Uh, my wife's away. So I spent like 
I thought I was going to play video games today and I did not play any. I actually just like cleaned the whole freaking house and I'm still not done, but I would like it to be all like clean and organized. So that's my, that's sort of my goal. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Just that, that makes and... one of us. I never want to clean ever. I get no, paid to me neither. Clean. <laughs> but good for you. I, I can't do it. So. No, I just can't believe I had like enough gumption to actually do it. So, uh, you know, the list is still, I still have stuff to do, unfortunately, but I'm going to try to get it all done, the rest of it done tomorrow. So we'll see. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get into it guys. Um, and we are talking about reproduction. So turn the lights low and get excited. Uh, if you're listening at the pot at home. <laughs> Wait, can I take that back? <laughs> Turn the lights low, but I want to don't want to hear about the rest. Jeez. <laughs> I didn't mean get excited in that way. I might get excited and like get pumped. Sure. Right, that still t- sounds yeah, yeah, terrible. That's still wrong. Um we're not even gonna talk about uh shark reproduction. Uh Dang. we have a lot we I don't have, think like, we are, right? And maybe we'll do that another time. Um unless Amber, you want to add some things at the end. But we're gonna start with uh I think we're gonna start talking of defining some of these terms. Christine, do you wanna take it away? Sure. So it can be a little complicated to try to divide this up into just straight up freshwater and saltwater, right? Because we have some fish that are pretty common that we all kind of are aware of like salmon or even like eels or like lamprey that don't necessarily spend their whole life in fresh or salt water. So one of the animals that we'll be talking about is anadromous. So those are fish that will go from salt to fresh water to spawn. So like salmon um, and trout and such, they will go into fresh water to uh, lay their eggs and then they'll either return or they die depending on the species. And then there's catadromous, which are the fish that will um, go from freshwater into saltwater to spawn. So like American eels will do that. I think European eels as well. Um, So that's kind of a unique uh, spawning uh, strategy. And diadromous are fish that can kind of just do whatever they want. They can do either. They can go fresh or saltwater or even brackish water if they're feeling a little spicy. Uh, (laughs) But uh, so those are the kind of the different types of fish that we're going to be talking about that also encompass kind of fresh water because these fish spend at least some of their spawning time in fresh water. So I feel like you see those little, like, um, I don't know what the word is like those little preterms, like, and like anode cathode, like that yeah. and cat, like that, there's some derivation there, right? That's kind sure. of opposites. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I'm not an etymologist <laughs> though, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a degree in etymology somewhere. No, no. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a ton. Uh, so we're going to start with freshwater fish uh, spawning approaches for now. And there are a ton of ways, just because there's so many diverse species of fish, there are a ton of different ways that they that they spawn and, and how they reproduce. And it's, it's kind of actually amazing. If you're not so familiar with fish, uh, some of this stuff, you're going to be like, I can't even believe that this is uh, true, but, uh, and, and, and maybe even for, for us, some of it will be like a little bit, uh, crazy to sort of review, uh, but we'll start with kind of the basic obvious ones. So things like egg scatters are like a lot more common and it's probably one of the types of spawning approaches that, uh, most, most average people are familiar with even the lay person. Right. So obviously we're going to go with our crown jewel zebra fish to start, right. That's mm-hmm. our, that's our mascot. 
And this is true, not only of zebrafish, but a lot of like your kind of community tank fish, right? So a lot of things like tetras, different, different species that you see in your typical, like probably in, I guess like in Petco, right? Like in your, in your typical community tanks. And the basically the most of these spawn is they might have some sort of courtship dance or something like that. Maybe where the fish is flaring, the male is flaring or chasing the female around. There doesn't tend to be in a lot of these species much like mating for life situation or anything like that. It's just kind of like, oh, here's a female, <laughs> chase around and uh, and get to spawn in. Um, so uh, the other thing is that they are usually trying to spawn and get as many eggs as possible. They're just like, they're scattering, right? So these are called egg scatterers. I don't even know if I said that off the top, but uh, zebrafish no. are egg scatterers, right? And so what they do is they basically, the male approaches the female, uh, if she is receptive, they basically like shiver next to each other and the female ex expels eggs and the male expels sperm. I have seen videos where the male does kind of like curl over the female to kind of like squeeze a little bit to help like expel the eggs, but they come out pretty quickly or easily. And then that mixing is happening right there, kind of mm -hmm. like right at the fish. And then those eggs are falling. And I think I said this on previous podcasts that there's no parental instinct with, with zebrafish, right? That's the reason why we have why we have a grate where the eggs can fall below them and they can't reach them because they basically don't remember that they've spawned as soon as they spawn. Yeah. <laughs> so those yeah. eggs are fodder for getting eaten. Yeah. So with these guys, we refer to them as externally fertilized, basically. That's kind of what you were describing. So instead of internal fertilization, that's a very mammal thing. And I think lots of animals that do that, that aren't fish, basically amphibians and fish do external fertilization where occasionally like the female scatters the eggs and the male inseminates them just by squirting a sperm on the eggs, basically, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. um, and so with zebrafish, yeah, we actually will, you know, put a divider in the tank or a grate in the tank so the eggs don't get eaten by the the fish but a lot of these fish will scatter their their eggs and such on the substrate or like on a plant or something in some plants so that's how the eggs end up kind of just being left on their own right yeah i think in theory like you know in the wild or whatever a lot of these species are just dropping eggs everywhere they're getting fertilized and then like they're just ending up like down in this down like kind of like rolling around in the soil or in the sand or like amongst plant life and then that's where they develop and eventually like they kind of have hiding places down there so yep. they can kind of continue their lives uh i don't i can't imagine it's like a high percentage of survival right because that's the idea like they're just like scattering eggs and leaving them uh so this approach is you know kind of what you generally see with species that are just producing a lot of eggs or a lot of progeny but like at the end of the day only a percentage of them are going to survive um obviously in the lab that's different right everything survives but that's how it goes so um okay so that's egg scatterers uh so now we're going to move on to live bearers so live bearers i guess like it's a little bit more tr like a traditional like definition of sex right so there's, I wrote, I, I kind of miswrote here. So it says there's, there's, there's quite a few species that are, that are under the heading of life bearers, but the ones that you see in the hobby a lot are like things like mollies, platies, um, guppies. That's a very common one that most people are familiar with. And all these uh, fish, the way they reproduce is the male has something called a gonopodium, which is essentially like a modified fin where they can inseminate the female with like sperm packets and so uh what i have seen um at least in my experience is that the male does have some sort of mating dance again where he's usually like 
positioning himself in front of the female and if she's receptive because this is a more of a like a delicate process um he will approach her and then he just like puts his gonopodium like up into the vent and deposits the sperm that way right so that's kind of just like mating in mammals all more or less right mm-hmm. um and all those uh so i believe i have i should have double checked this but i believe that they that those the female fish are a lot like are capable of deciding uh, whether or not they can use the sperm we don't have to look that up but i know that those uh those eggs are basically fertilized inside the body and those babies grow up inside the fish uh and so what ends up happening is is if you look at species like this especially guppies because you can see through their skin pretty easily you can see the little embryos developing kind of at the base near the vent there and then usually um after they gestate, the fish will go hide somewhere and eventually expel those babies down the kind of like a hiding place so they can live and survive. And I think like the first day, they pretty much come out almost free swimming, right? For us, oh, yeah. Whereas some mm-hmm. species, that's not the case. These ones do. So like depending on the fish, some some species, they come out and they have a gigantic yolk sac hanging off them. It could be bigger than their body. And so they're incapable of really doing much. Uh, and so... But for these ones, they pretty much have to go, right? I mean, it's the same same thing in plenty of species, not even related to fish, right? Like wildebeest is like you drop out and then you're like, okay, so there's like eight lions right over there staring at us. So like, <laughs> you know how to run, right? Like I know you've yeah. been alive for like 10 seconds, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, so. so the, so this is what I know about like live. I used to breed a lot of live bears. That was like my thing. So I read like way too many books as a kid about this. Um, much like some other like quote unquote simpler animals like snakes and like lizards, etc. Live bearing female like of that whole group of fish, like the sword tails, etc. Guppies, etc. They can store sperm. So mm, okay. one mating, they can actually use that sperm for like multiple different reproductive cycles of like making babies. Oh, wow. Um, and I feel like very likely with these guys, just like with snakes, I, I used to breed snakes. I've had snakes where they, for whatever reason, didn't feel that it was the right time to make babies, even though they had bred mm. and they will sit on that sperm, not pun intent, not, not literally, <laughs> But they will just hold it there and like there is some sort of mechanism to keep that sperm viable inside the female's body. Um, and then when they feel like it's time to implant eggs, they will just something happens and they just it happens. Wow, and then that's they amazing. So I've had snakes hold sperm for eight months, ten months. Mm. And then wow. it's just like, oh, now there's babies. <laughs> okay. Um, and that these guys I think can do the same thing. And yeah, unlike little baby zebrafish and some of the other uh like uh egg scattering fish that we're really common we're aware of anyway um most live bears when they're born like they are born when they Mm -hmm. come out of the mom they are ready to eat and like just little fish whereas you know some of these guys are kind of just little embryos still when they're just coming from like zebrafish for example yeah like zebrafish aren't they don't eat for the first couple days after they hatch right yeah yeah so um yeah they have like a couple days of just just chilling out and absorbing the yolk sac right yeah yeah, yeah. sounds but pretty the, nice <laughs> the live bearing the live bearer babies also need to get away from mom and dad though like when they are born because they will be eaten immediately so <laughs> yep. i bred yeah. enough of those that it's just like yep they're gonna get eaten get the heck out of there so <laughs> run away, run away, run away, run away. 
(laughs) (laughs) My favorite approach was always to like put them like to put my like live bears out in like near like in a open like a container of water outside and mosquitoes would lay all their larvae inside the like the bucket or whatever and then the fish would just eat all the mosquito larvae and they would grow like huge right because they would just be like so healthy and... oh wow yeah so what you're saying is you're the reason we have west nile virus <laughs> yeah that's oh. the reason <laughs> you're well, the reason yeah, my parents also didn't know that I was doing this. So uh, one day they just were like, what's this bucket of water doing here? And dumped out all my fish and didn't know that they were like, <gasps> oh, like no. just so I go out there like, you know, it's like I was so excited, like because, you know, I like don't, I didn't check on them all the time, but I'd be excited to check like kind of near the end of the summer. So I would check like once a month or something like see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I went out there. and I was like, oh, no, it's tipped over. What happened? <laughs> oh, no. Very sad. I used to hatch the brine shrimp for them because they can eat like little baby artemia when they're first Mm. hatched or born rather. But the thing that like, maybe you saw this back in the day, Josh, but maybe it's before your time because I'm very Mm -hmm. old. (laughs) (laughs) There used to be these like toothpaste of fry food you could buy. And I can't remember what it was called. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Like aqua fry or something. Oh, no, that's not what I was thinking of. I was thinking of like cyclopes, which is like the red. This was just like it, they took the crappy flakes and just made a goop out of it. That was the consistency of toothpaste. Oh, wow. And I used to like buy it in like those old metal toothpaste type things. You know how toothpaste used to look like kind of metal on the in the tube? Uh-huh. And I would feed that to my babies along with the brine shrimp. It was so goopy and messy, but they loved it. Oh, you were doing a better job than I was. <laughs> I, I, I had so many live bearer tanks that like I had them in the bathroom in my parents house they were not happy with that i had a grow out tank for sword tails in there amber did you have any uh i forget did you have any fish like hobby fish at all or no was there anything that you sort of found interesting only goldfish uh when i was younger i think i had like 12 goldfish in a tank which is quite a bit and now I understand that like goldfish are super disgusting apparently (laughs) they're just gross the sad thing was that I kept them alive for a really long time. It was like a couple of years. But then I had one of my sister's friends came over and she stuck her whole hand in it and just started Mm. waving it around and they all died. (laughs) No, what? Yeah. Oh, how awful. Did he at least die painlessly? To shreds, you say. Well, how is his wife holding up? To shreds, you say. And so my parents were like, no more fish. And I haven't had (laughs) any fish since. But would goldfish be considered egg scatterers in this case then or live bearing? No, I think they're scatterers, right? Yeah. I don't know if they scatter their eggs or if they stick them on surfaces. I'm pretty sure they're egg stickers, aren't they? uh you're gonna have to look that up i don't i don't remember yeah they they have sticky eggs that like stick on stuff i'm okay. certain of that so they, they may scatter them in a specific spot but the eggs are like really really sticky because mm-hmm. i remember we had um at my old facility we had big goldfish like just big comets mm-hmm. and they got to the point where they were spawning on the regular and for whatever reason they were in a big aquaculture system that had like a big like think of a big circular tank that we keep like salmon or trout in these Mm. big green tanks and they really wanted to spawn at where the water was coming in 
Oh. And these are big fish and they they spray their eggs out. And so they ended up sticking these eggs. They sprayed them out of the tank and they would like cement all over all of the oh. life support system equipment. <laughs> so I just remember having to try to scrape all these goldfish eggs off. And I'm like, damn you fish, like stop doing this. <laughs> I mean, they were happy. They were spawning. They were having a great time in that tank. But like I was not. <laughs> so. Yeah, scraping all that goop off the walls. Oh yeah, and their <laughs> eggs are kind of like orange, kind of they're they're a little bigger than the the eggs you find on like sushi, you know. Mm. But it was oh. kind of like that, and so when I would do, I'm like, man, what's up sushi now? So. <laughs> <laughs> Some row. Yeah, 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 exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I think we can move on. Uh, so. I kind of put them in this order because so the next one that I want to talk about is egg depositors and it's a really wide genre of of um, sort of egg re- fish reproduction because there are just so many fish that do it and they all have like there are a bunch of different ones that have different approaches to it as well. So we did egg scatterers first then we went to live bearers because they do kind of like leave their babies and do a free for all um, for depositors it's all over the place. So the first one I want to talk about is something called Madaka, uh, which is also known as the Japanese rice fish. Um, have you guys heard of these guys? Yeah, weren't they some of like the first fish that went to space? Is that true? I think so. <laughs> I did not know that. I feel like Christine would definitely know this. Like, I feel like you know enough about space to know that. How come yeah, it wasn't sure. the zebra fish? I think they were number two. Should have been yeah. number one. Yeah. Yeah. I what know. the heck? I know. Well, I think Madaka got eclipsed by zebra fish. If that was the case, um, so uh, there are plenty of laboratories that do use Madaka in research. I we do not, um, but I have heard of plenty of them doing it, and some researchers have asked me occasionally about it, but they do something that's really kind of cool. Uh, so much like the libraries bearers, they also have a god of podium. I should say these fish are like really boring looking. They're like, just like kind of pale. Um, I guess they're kind of cute, but they're not as, they're not as like brightly colored as a lot of the live bearers are like when we're talking about things like sword tails and platies and guppies, which you see in the hobby a lot, they're very brightly colored and beautiful the uh predecessors are not right like usually like for a wild fish it just tends to be uh that they're they're probably kind of ugly and maybe not so colorful that's true of betta fish as well um when we if we ever do a full episode about uh betta fish um we'll talk about that more but uh but madaka so they do use a gonopodium so they fertilize the eggs the same way uh however the female does this thing where she carries the egg cluster around. So I guess the eggs attach themselves within side of like the, I don't know if like within the vent cloaca area, they attach themselves there via these like little strings. And then they like hang outside of the body of the fish, like a little grape cluster. And I'm not sure exactly how long they do that for, but they hang, hang there for a little while. And I guess that just means that they're, they're less likely to get eaten because they're like with the fish. And then eventually the fish does deposit these eggs on like a leaf or something like that. So uh, I think similar to how, how frog, like certain poison dart frogs i think will like carry their little babies on their back and stuff so these guys so do something similar do yeah have you ever just google that if you're listening just like google google like frogs with like tadpoles on their back like it's kind of crazy how long they stay on there i don't even know how they do it like it's insane i have to correct myself uh the 
that fish was not the first. Madaka weren't the first fish in space. I uh, should eat my hat. Okay, who was it? It was Mama Chogs. Mommy Chogs, the funulus. Oh. Yeah. What is it, trusted sidekick? Okay, Mama Chog. They were the first aquanauts, apparently. That's what they called them. Oh. Um, Aquanauts. A bunch of them went up, but uh, Madaka have spawned in space. Oh, they have. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're the only ones. I no, I don't think so. But I think they might have been the first. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that again and then be wrong again. <laughs> but they have like they've absolutely spawned in space successfully and the the babies develop normally. Got you. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Okay. So so that's Madaka. So hopefully you learn a little thing about them. So now uh so we're gonna move on to cichlids, angelfish, some of the more intelligent fish. So there's a lot of fish that are like kind of the next level of I think we consider a little bit more intelligent. A lot of times they're territorial, but not always. Um, and these guys are, um, I mean, angelfish are just kind of like a, a specific type of freshwater species, but cichlids is a, a, a large family of fish that span all sorts of different species. And so these guys will usually select a partner. Um, I think actually a decent number of them will select a partner for life, depending on how much parental, um, involvement they have uh, i think angelfish do but i don't remember exactly my freshwater angelfish did back in the day okay. they, they had they pair off for sure and i think it's funny you call them intelligent because i had angelfish <laughs> for a long time and i don't think they're very smart <laughs> you cut me deep shrek you cut me real deep just now yeah i mean i think we're just, like our metric for intelligence sure. is probably pretty low yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean these are fish so yeah. Yeah, yeah. burn <laughs> wait did i complain before about how like i don't like it when people do the memory of a goldfish thing did we talk about that i forgot I think, if I did. we have talked about it. i just don't know if we talked about it on the pod though i think they talk about it well they talk about it in ted lasso and he's like be a goldfish and i'm always like god damn every time I complained about that too. I've also seen that show and I was like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> I just had so many people do that. Uh, tell tell me that actually, it, like when we talk about fish facts in general, like a number of people will sometimes like if someone that you might not know well, will like regurgitate some fact about fish and you're like, oh boy, how am I going to break it to them? Like the Megalodon's not real or the, that the Megalodon doesn't exist anymore or like yeah. certain things that they're like, like I, I don't know if you ever heard this one. Someone told me that that there that like there was a story about a snake that would like lie down next oh to this God, person in bed. I was going to mention that. I was going to mention because I was going to say like working with snakes. That's the the first thing I hear from anybody. Yeah. If you're going to meet me and you're going to tell me that, I'm walking away. I'm just literally walking. Amber, away. have you heard this story before? I have not. I'm curious. Christine, go ahead. You can. <laughs> so people will be like, oh, I my cousin's friend has this giant snake. And like, I guess it would get it got out of the enclosure and they woke up in the morning and the snake was like stretched out beside them in bed, like the length of their body. And the you know, an expert told them that was because the snake is like measuring them up to eat them. <laughs> okay. And it's like, no, that's not true. And also like. What, why? why yeah, does like the idea this? that the snake is like smart enough to be like, I'm going to measure myself like lengthwise. Yeah. And in my version, it's like they're talking to someone on the phone about it and they're like, get out of the room now. Like, 
you know, <laughs> the snake is inside the house. <laughs> like he's going, he's measuring you to like, see if he can yeah, eat yeah. you. I'm like, no, snakes will just go try to eat stuff. And then they might be like, oh shoot, this cow is too large. I'm going to not, I'm going to regurgitate it. <laughs> there was a video on Reddit speaking of fish uh, the other day of a water snake that was trying to eat a bullhead, uh, a catfish or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you water snake, you cannot eat that. Ooh, like, a bullhead. Okay, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. when we talked about we talked about fins before and those mm -hmm. fin spikes, like bullhead yep. catfish have these poisonous fins, uh, spikes yeah. off their fins that yeah. are really terrible. And you can, I mean, as a human, oh, as a wow. human, if you get jabbed, it can it can blow your hand up. Yeah. So that, that water snake, because water snakes are pretty like headstrong as far as like I'm gonna do this whether you like it or not. <laughs> and it was basically just like chewing on like the just like cranial to like the dorsal fin, just kind of chewing on this bullhead. And it was just laying there like I'm just gonna wait for you to be done with this and I'm gonna <laughs> leave. It was pretty funny. So it's like the pelican of the sea, like the pelican to the capybara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I love those. There's a whole series of photos of pelicans trying to eat, like children, various <laughs> other animals, just trying to fit it in their head. Trying to eat a child? I've never seen that. There's, I have to Google I'll, that. Yeah, it's just like the pelican's got like either side of its bill on either side of this kid's head. What? <laughs> That's yeah, terrifying. Yeah, there's a whole like series of images. And then there's one of like, <laughs> there's a pelican with just a pigeon inside its bill. And it's I've just seen gonna, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. That's pretty, t it's kind of traumatizing. These poor pigeons, I guess they don't see it as a threat. They're usually just hanging out. They're yeah, like, yeah. oh, fellow bird, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, to get back to what we were talking about before, egg depositors. So angelfish, discus. If, you ever, if you've never seen a discus before, Google that. They're so beautiful. They're like one of my favorite fish, actually. Um, kind of kind of tough to take care of sometimes if you don't have good water quality. Uh, but these guys will deposit their eggs. So they'll usually find like a spawning site. Sometimes they'll clean it. So they'll like peck at it. They might actually like hang out for a couple days. Uh, and then when the female is pretty full of eggs, they will lay these eggs sort of like in little rows or in little clusters one by one and they'll deposit them to a site, whatever the site is. Uh, so sometimes that could be a leaf. Uh, sometimes that could be like a rock or a piece of wood or something like that. In your fish tank, it could even be like the side of the glass. Um, I've the seen heater, that as well. The heater. The heater. That, so yeah, they get yeah. cooked. Yeah, that's the worst oh. when that happens. You see it starting oh. to happen and you're like, the heater comes out now and you guys go to this <laughs> instead, please. Yeah. So they'll call an audible. They will like, they'll change it up yeah. if you pull the heater out. Yeah, I, at least my angelfish did. I don't know about discus. I feel like if you look at a discus funny, it's going to just die. Can I say like discus, like when I was like obsessed, well, I'm still obsessed with fish, but like when I was obsessed with like the hobby and like I was getting like Tropical Fish Hobbyist magazine, like discus was like the crown jewel. Like I would read all this, this guy named Jack Watley, who like, I don't know if he's still alive anymore, but like he would do like a, people would write in about their discus and he would do like a, it was like a Dear Abby for discus. Like, interesting. You know I mean? Yeah. They would just, sorry. No, oh, when I got really into stuff, it was African cichlids. Mm-hmm. Those people are cool were, too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Continue. I thought no, you were going to say. I was going to say people were just crazy about those. And discus had, they had moved on from discus. Well, yeah. Discus are, like like you said, they're you look at them the wrong way and they could die. Like it, They are difficult to, to keep alive sometimes. Cichlids are very hardy. Like they're very strong. But the decent number of them are aggressive, especially African cichlids. They tend to be very aggressive. 
some of the South American ones too. So you could have a tank. I had a tank full of them not that long ago, a few years back. And I bought them all little, like they were all like an inch or two long and they're so beautiful. Like the colors rival that of saltwater fish in, in at least in, in some of those rift lake species. Um, and, but when they get older, they get real mean, they get real mean. And so a fish will just be like, I don't like that fish. And I'm just going to chase that <laughs> fish until he's dead. <laughs> yeah. It's really brutal. So anyway, that, I don't know if that's intelligence, but it's certainly aggression. So, um, yeah, but yeah, anyway, there are a lot of fish that do that and cichlids are, there are a decent amount of cichlids that do that, but those are egg depositors. So they'll leave them there. Uh, there are different ones. Um, so some species of fish do allow their fry to hide in their mouth. So they have like a level of, so like angelfish, so angelfish don't do this. Angelfish and discus, like once those babies hatch, um, Oh man, I want to talk about this too. Actually, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, I know, so right? <laughs> so angelfish uh, and discus, like a lot of those ones, when their babies hatch, they're just really small and they're and they're not very, they're kind of helpless. But the but the fish will stay near them. They'll guard them. They'll like hang out with them. They'll make sure they're okay. Like they don't just like immediately abandon them, right? Like a lot of the scatterers do. And discus actually, as soon as those babies are like big enough to like swim, I think even like beforehand, they move from the deposit site to the skin of their parents. And they like basically eat like the, like they eat off like the slime layer and like different things. They just like hang on to the slime layer of the fish basically. So uh, I'd have to like, look that up in more detail but basically they live off there for like a certain number of days while they're really tiny and uh and then when they're like free swimming then they just kind of like stick with the parents so down the line there's like a certain line of delineation i'm not sure exactly how long how long it takes before they are deemed like oh you're fine to go swim away but it's like a it's like a month or something like it's pretty long like it's not a really really short amount of time yeah i feel like the cichlids as a group have like more kind of parental care than a lot of mm -hmm. other freshwater fish have. Um, yes. So like I kept uh crebensis mm -hmm. for a while and they, they also will like, they keep their little cloud of babies with them and they will kick the butt of anybody that tries to come near them, for example. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that happens sometimes in the hobby. Like you could have a tank, like let's say you have a 75 gallon tank um, and you have some cichlids in there and then like, you have a pair of like convict cichlids, which are named convicts because they have like vertical bars. Like the they bars belong of a jail. in jail. That's why they belong in jail. <laughs> they do belong in jail. They're like the cheapest. They're the, they're like one of the cheapest fish out there. Like they used to be like five six dollars. They're probably a little bit more because of inflation. But we used uh, to joke that they could breed in a bucket of water without the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they yeah so if you have a bunch of cichlids uh i'm sorry of convict cichlids in a tank and you have two of them pair off they will lay eggs in a site and then they will just kick the ass of every other fish right so they'll just like keep them off so you'll notice like all the fish are like staying away from a third of the tank and like that's because like your convicts have laid eggs <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> so, yeah or it's a tuesday or it's a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, oh, and there's one more thing I should mention. There are some species of, of, uh, of fish, I think it's mostly cichlids, that once their babies are free swimming, they also allow them to just like swim into their mouth. So they don't, they're, they're different than mouth brooders, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but they will just like, when the babies 
see any form of danger. Like if I was to stick my hand in the tank, the female just opens their mouth and immediately the babies all swim inside the mouth or the male and female, they both do it. So it's kind of crazy that they'll just like know ultimately to protect, be protected. Uh, I mean, crocodiles, don't crocodiles do that too? Or I think, yeah, a lot of the crocodilians do. Do you think those fish are ever like, I'm just going to have a little snack. <laughs> just That's one. what I was about to ask too. <laughs> sorry, sorry, still here with thunder. <laughs> I just wonder if they accidentally swallow one. Like, imagine yeah. you just like accidentally gulp, and then you're like, "Oops!" <laughs> Everything's perfect. There has to be accidents in nature. They're trying oh, their for best. Sure. I mean, yeah, and you like, have oh, like, oh shit. <laughs> these clutch sizes can be like a hundred fish. Like, there are a lot. There could be a lot. So, like, definitely you could actually swallow one, right? <laughs> no one's gonna know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell the wife. <laughs> uh yeah but uh i think actually in like finding nemo i don't know if it's if it's true of many saltwater fish but i remember in finding nemo there's a uh, one where the fish is like 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 something like she's saying like don't worry like don't be late for school and like as she says school like a fish like pops out of her mouth and like swims off to like go to school oh yeah and finding nemo in the first movie uh, yes finding <laughs> nemo the bastion of accuracy for yes <laughs> Finding Nemo, the reason why millions of clownfish nationwide are dead thanks to Finding Nemo. I, I worked in a pet store when that movie came out. It was a bad time. Me too. Well, oh, actually, yeah. no, a little bit past, I think a little bit after, actually, because when did it come out? Like 2000 and... It would have been 2004, 2005, something like that. Okay, I think that's that about right. And I think like 2006, I started working. Do you know, in. Amber? Do, Do I know? Idea? When Finding when Nemo out? came out? Yeah, 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 it had to be early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, probably. So it was, yeah, around that time that I was working at a pet store. And like, we didn't do salt water. Like, it was just a chain store. So like, oh, salt okay. water was not a thing. Oh. But uh, so what our like higher ups were like, buy all the fish that look like the fish from Finding Nemo as close as oh you can Oh my get, gosh. And have those. Like, we used to have those like- Good um, idea. Those horrific- what are they called? The those weird hybrid cichlids that have the weird heads, like the parrot somethings or something. They're often dyed colors. Oh, the yeah, like parrot cichlids. Yeah, awful yeah. creatures, terrible. And people, yeah, they're very. Them. So you know, they're a hybrid. They're a hybrid between yeah. a red devil yep. and maybe a convict. Like I don't know. It's like some other. They're I think awful it, fish, and like <laughs> they are literally dyed. Like they used to take them, dip and, them in dye and sell them wow yeah they don't do it anymore um i think there's been a kibosh on that but i think originally yeah, yeah they were they doing can make, people now were they can sell glowfish so they don't have to make the by dyeing them in anymore fluorescent yeah yes because amber i don't know if you're aware but like it used to be that before there were glowfish they would take like white fish like just white tetras or whatever and inject them with dye they'd inject them under the skin with dye and it would fade over time but people would buy them because they were like oh it's bright green or whatever happy easter um, yeah <laughs> and then those fish they actually had a process where they'd like put them in a chemical that would strip their slime coat stick them, stick them in dye and then stick them in something to try to fix that dye in place at Jesus. least until they could get sold yeah yeah it was wild That's so looney tunes Same. yeah it's yeah. white <laughs> I'm surprised it was allowed, but I guess like fish, fish didn't have as many rights. Nobody so cared. That's probably yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, it's a fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're the advocates. 
So anyway, by the way, parrot cichlids are hybrids between a mitis cichlid and a redhead cichlid. Right, 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 right. Um, and so, yeah, they come out looking like ridiculous looking. They look just so weird. Just Google Google, Google blood red parrot cichlid and you will have fun. Uh, there are also ones that are like heart shaped that just have like no um, caudal fit at all. Like nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah. So like, I don't even know if they have a tail. So yeah. it's just really interesting what 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 has happened in the hobby. There's all sorts of like really interesting. Uh, <laughs> oh, they approaches. look like giant goldfish. Yeah. Yeah, they do. People would buy them thinking they were goldfish, like when I wasn't in the store and never, <laughs> anyone would tell them anything. And they'd put them in with their goldfish and be like, what happened? Because <laughs> they're not they're not very nice. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the yeah, the two fish that make parrot fish, which I believe are sterile. I don't think they can spawn. I don't think they're, um, they're sterile. I think they're they sterile. They can yeah. mate, they can mate and like lay eggs, but I don't think that they're there's something going on with the chromosomes there. But yeah. um yeah, but the two fish that make parrotfish are extremely aggressive cichlids that will like screw up your tank and like will fight to the death. So, uh, yeah, I can see why they have some some aggression. Uh, <laughs> crazy. Oh, I was going to say one more thing about clownfish, just because you you didn't have them at your pet store, but we did, mm-hmm. and so. Um, people came in in droves looking for Nemo's and Dory's. Now Dory. Dory is a much more expensive fish. It's mm-hmm. called a hippo tang. Uh, they're harder to get. Like, so it's like you're going to spend like 60 to $80. So most people are not going to go for those. But clownfish were like 20 to 30. And so people were more, they were happy to do it for like their kid who wanted it. But the problem is, is like we had to get pretty savvy about like investigating what kind of tank they had because they would just come in they'd be like i want a nemo which is like already a red flag as soon as you say i want a nemo and you don't say i want a clownfish it's like the flags go up because you're like oh this person might not know that this is a saltwater fish right Mm -hmm. uh but early on they would take home saltwater fish put them in fresh water like in a bowl and then they'd be dead like you know um yeah and people it's don't care. They're like, I'm fine to spend this money and just kill this animal. I don't care. It's and wild. Clownfish are just so beautiful. They're yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I really like them. We're gonna. I'm gonna get a saltwater tank at some point again. <laughs> if I had a saltwater tank, it would. No offense, it would have probably no fish in it. <laughs> You're just gonna be like. I want shrimp. all the weird critters. Yeah, I want all the weird critters that go in a saltwater tank. Oh, the little shrimp. Yeah, get some sexy mm-hmm. shrimp. They can wiggle their butts. I'm sexy and I know it. I'm sexy and I know it. <laughs> I don't even know those ones. Yeah, they're, they're called say, sexy shrimp. That's the common name. Yeah, they do a little twerking all the time. <laughs> I say be careful googling that. Maybe it might find some sort. Yeah, of you know weird... what? I was gonna. Now I'm not yeah, gonna do it on the pod. Oh wait, that might not be great. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I was gonna say like the the saltwater thing, like. One of these days I'm going to get in trouble at the aquarium when I go to an aquarium because every time I hear an adult say like, it's a Nemo, I want to smack them. (laughs) I hear that all the time whenever I go to an aquarium slash zoo. It's a Nemo. It's a whatever from some Disney movie. It's like, I hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) (laughs) It put them on the map, though. I don't know if people would know what clownfish were before that. but Yeah, uh, I wonder if it had any like bearing on how like they are very commonly captive bred now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe back then they weren't. And now they have like hybrids and stuff, like yeah. all morphs. sorts of crazy color morphs that. Yeah. yeah. So not just hybrids, but like color morphs of 
these guys that are really nuts like this there's like fully black clownfish and mm-hmm. their normal color is like orange and white so it's crazy that they could even like i don't even know how they did that it's incredible yeah, yeah i don't know either. cool um yeah uh do you want to talk about shell dwellers and um fans bring the other one oh, higher perch i actually don't know much about shell dwellers other than like they're cichlids that live like they're african cichlids right mm-hmm. so Have these you, guys i've never worked with them or i've never i don't know much about them Okay, I'm happy to do that too. <laughs> I'll just talk the whole time. That's um, okay. So shell dwellers are from. So okay, let me back up a little bit. So in in Africa, there are rift la- There are things called rift lakes. So these big lakes that are not typical to in terms of water quality. To, like they're not like other lakes in other really high pH uh, they're, countries. They're and very rocky. And so have, rift like, lakes rock have and, like, a lot of a calcium lot of- carbonate bottoms. I guess. And so as a result, the pH is high and it's just like a different types of species that live there. So there's, uh, there's one big lake called Lake uh, Malawi. There's a smaller lake called Lake Victoria, I think. And then there's a lake called Lake Tanganyika. There's, there's three basically. And in each lake kind of has its types of species. So most of like the mouth brooding cichlids and a lot of the like typical cichlids that we see in the hobby for the most part are going to be from Lake Tong, uh, uh, from Lake Malawi. However, um, some of the kind of smaller, more delicate ones are from Lake Tanganyika. And so those are ones like Julitochromis, uh, Jewel cichlids, uh, which are really beautiful. Um, those are like one of my favorite cichlids growing up. Uh, and then uh, shell dwellers are also going to be in this category. So I think they're Neolamprologus is the genus. Um, I that think that's right. right. To me, I think that's right. And so these guys, they are using their environment around them. So within this environment, there's a decent amount of like uh, large shells from uh, probably either hermit crabs or snails that have died. And they've made this their home. And so you'll have a pair that will lay their eggs deep inside the empty shell. And then they'll like, that'll be their little home basically, which is really cute. <laughs> Are the females smaller than the males? I think feel like that's the case. The females live in these uh, shells and they're way smaller. I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember size wise. Uh, if my memory serves me correct, I, f- I remember them kind of being similar size, but okay. it, you might be able to Google that. Yeah, because um, I, I just like we had a one time the aquarium club because I'm very cool. I was in an aquarium club. Um, we had a lecturer come to talk about their experience with shell dwellers. And so they actually like they this is someone who is so into African cichlids that they would like go to the Rift Lakes on the regular. Mm. They would do collecting trips, but they also would go just to like be a naturalist and like collect data i guess they weren't really in affiliated with an organization or so uh, like an institution they were just doing it because they were interested and so they gave a talk on these guys but that was the extent of my knowledge of those guys i've never seen really kept them i've never kept them i've never seen them at a pet store so yeah i don't know that i've kept shell dwellers but i kept some other uh tangnika species so um they're very cool like they're not as crazy aggressive as like when i talk about the you know, African cichlids are just killing each other or like just like decide they're going to kill one of their take mates. That's usually like Lake Malawi stuff. But Lake Tanganyika, they're a little bit more, they, they tend to be a little bit more gentle depending on what the species are. Sure. So they're a little bit less like murder, murder, murder. Right. Uh, that's not true of everyone. But I think generally, if we talk about it, that's the case. So there's nothing crazy about shell dwellers. It's just that they also deposit their eggs. They, they guard them and they keep them near like within that shell and that's like their little home area. So, but it's kind of like a really specific uh, reproduction behavior, reproductive behavior that they have. 
Cool. Yeah. I'm not sure about size difference. Cause like the thing that I'm just seeing is a lot of the pictures are of course of the males because you see them and you don't see the females, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time you're just seeing the males and pictures and videos of the males like displaying to each other. So mm, the, the woman in this group, they stay in the house and they don't leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, All right. I can talk about the transvancorial spawning. So this is a really, really weird strategy that one specific species is known for. The pirate perch is a freshwater species. So they have this really strange adaptation where as they develop uh, and become sexually mature, the cloaca or the vent, like their anogenital opening migrates from you know where we expect it to be near the end of their body by their tail closer to their head which is great (laughs) (laughs) and it tends to point forward so like there's like kind of like a little ovipositor for the female and so um instead of making a nest like some of these guys do which you actually will segue into that because that's what you're going to be talking about next so um they don't make a nest the female will jam her fish lips her little face in, <laughs> into the sand or whatever substrate they're using and she's basically like squirting her eggs into her gills and she's using the force of her gills in in reverse to shove the eggs into the substrate as deep as she can and at the same time the male is there and like fertilizing the eggs as she's like injecting them into the substrate Oh, so he's there doing yeah, he's it? Yeah, there as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So he's That's like... That's crazy. Yeah, it's so strange. And so they knew that, like, the, the reason why I had found this was, like, I found a paper about it because, like, it had finally been observed sometime in the last, like, 20 years because no one was really sure because it was like, it doesn't seem like they make nests, but their eggs are in the substrate. Maybe they're making a nest, but they would see these weird little patterns in the sand that were like little mouth print. basically. <laughs> and that was where she was. Then so there's video of it where they're actually just straight up shoving their eggs into the substrate as deep as they'll go. And then they Wait, go on their way. Is that why they're called pirate perch? Because they're like burying their booty. Maybe. That <laughs> oh, might wow. be it. I never even thought about that. I don't. I don't know why. I don't think they the have an eye know. patch. Yeah, there you go. That's good. Let's just let's just assume that's the case. Yeah. X marks the spot, and then they leave a little treasure map. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> X marks yeah. the spot. Yeah. So exactly. that's that's basically that. Just it's just a weird one-off species that kind of has that adaptation. I don't really know why. It just was an interesting strategy. So so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how much? So now we're going to move on to nesper builders. Um, so how much? How much do you guys know about betafish? As far as like reproduction goes <laughs> about reproduction <laughs> i mean yeah how much do you know about like have you seen a bubble nest like you know i have I, not I, have you ever I had know. a beta no but you know oh. i've seen them in those sad little cups at the pet store and that's I about know. the extent of my so, knowledge of beta fish i haven't kept uh i haven't bred betas in a long time i bred them they're one of the first fish i bred as like a little kid oh uh, nice it drove my parents crazy because i had a bunch of like two liter bottles like cut in half and i'd like grow out the fish in those mm-hmm. and um but i see you see bubble nests a lot so if you ever keep a beta and you notice there's a little bit of foam kind of on the surface there that's mm-hmm. a happy beta he's happy he's making Aww. himself a little nest just kind of hanging out hoping that a lady will show up sometime mm-hmm. so yeah, so they make these little so the male betta so you know I think everyone kind of knows that betta fish is this is also known as the Siamese fighting fish and they are the males are very aggressive and so basically they spend most of their time just like 
flaring at other males, chasing them away <laughs> to their territory, and then building a bubble nest. So the way they do that is by like gulping little bits of air, and they coat it with a mucus, and then they spit it back out, and they make like suds. It basically looks like suds at the top of the tank. Um, and some of them can be really quite big. I mean, I would say probably like if you're going to say like square inches, maybe like two to three square inches, something like that at the, at the mm. most. Um, and I will leave someone else to translate that into centimeters sometime. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Don't do ask it, me. Do Just because I'm Canadian, I have no idea. <laughs> and so, but the bubble nest, as well as the um, sort of the fitness of the fish uh, is what the male uses to show off to the female. So when a female comes along in nature, uh, she'll check out the bubble nest and be like, all right, man, you're doing a good job. I like your, I like your nest here. And, and he will often, they'll often like flare and display. And if the, if the, if the female reciprocates, if she's cool with it, they will mate underneath the bubble nest. So it's aggressive, right? Like males are aggressive. So if the female is not ready to mate, they'll just chase them away. They're very rude. And there is definitely like, it's, it's like they beat each other up a little bit. Like the female could lose some fins in the process in the hobby. Yeah. Like in the hobby, it's even more dangerous because you're in a finite enclosure, right? So if you put the female in with the male and the male's like, yeah, I don't like you. She could just get killed. You know, at least in the wild, you have that escape. Yeah. So the way that they go about actually mating is they'll embrace underneath the bubble nest, like right underneath it, directly underneath. And the male will kind of wrap over the female and squeeze the female and the eggs will fall out. The male and he will, he will, he will, fertilize them right there and then as the eggs fall before they hit the ground he will like leave the female he'll go down and grab the eggs pick them up with his mouth and he'll spit them up into the bubble nest and they'll just do that over and over again until he has like a pretty nice size clutch there and then he's like see you later and he kicks the female out (laughs) and then the male does the rest of the care of the eggs oh wow yeah um so the female just does her job and then she goes <laughs> yeah, she, you gotta take her out you can't leave her in the tank she's gonna mm-hmm. get murdered if she stays in that tank yeah. So, yeah yeah so the the dads only dote on their eggs for a couple days right so like their their eggs for like a, a day or two and then like i think they hatch uh and they become like these little like fingerling larvae that really can't they still can't free swim yet and so they'll fall out of the bubble nest and the male will just spend all his time picking them up putting them back in but it's just built into their uh genetic code right they know um that that's what they have to do and they don't have to learn that from anyone they just it's 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 instinct right i guess instinct whenever we say instinct i guess that just means that it's built into their dna right that's the idea so uh yeah and then once they hit about I, I think it's like three or four days and they're free swimming then the male will kind of give up and the babies could swim away and they'll start uh, foraging for themselves uh but yeah as long as they have like a little yolk sack and stuff they're just basically beholden to their dad or <laughs> to like take care of them and make sure they're okay <laughs> so uh yeah yeah because that i in my experience that like for those first few days that male all he cares about is keeping an eye on those babies that's it like he's yeah does not, he eat i don't no, think so i don't i never they were never really interested and like they would just hang out 
and like just be obsessed and like watch that nest and if oh, something's that falling is so sweet yeah it is kind of cute and then <laughs> and then eventually after a few days he's like all right bye yeah i'm, I'm done with I'm this done. i'm gonna go i'm going to the store and get some smokes I'll <laughs> never yeah, coming exactly. back yeah 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 exactly. damn kids drove me crazy too <laughs> yeah, many yeah, of them yeah. <laughs> i'm now stressed I'm hungry. out i'm hungry I'm hungry. giving me great fins yeah so that's an example of a nest builder um there are a lot of other ones but i wanted to say that their largemouth bass do make sort of a nest i've seen this like where they basically like scout out a little area and they will kind of like move the substrate around to sort of have like an area where they're gonna you know invite females into their uh, nest area for spawning so that that does happen um, and i think that's kind of the idea right like if there's a species that builds a nest uh, likely it's because they're trying to attract a mate over to that nest. Obviously that's like huge and like birds and all sorts of stuff, like creatures like that. Um, but for fish, it is, it is, we do see it. So have you ever, ever been by a lake or whatever out on the, where you are in the, the Midwest or the, even in the East, you'll see like these circular spots in like mm -hmm. a lake in the shallows. Mm -hmm. And that's like, oftentimes it'll be like sunfish when you're, they're really common. You'll see those little sunfish nests. And mm -hmm. so it's just exactly what Josh was describing. So yeah, those just have like their little nests everywhere. And they're kind of cool. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. <laughs> so, uh, so the next type of spawning, or I guess the next, next type of reproduction is something called mouth brooding. So uh, this is a classic thing that you see a lot of times with, with Malawian cichlids uh, with the, so basically what happens is, is the male will display to the female, the female will reciprocate. They'll usually go down to the bottom of the substrate and there they'll do a little courtship dance where they kind of like twirl around each other. And while they're down there, the female will lay the eggs, the male will immediately fertilize. And then uh, the female will pick the eggs up and put them in her mouth uh, where they will remain. Now, I know that the males, some males have like egg spots on their uh, ventral fin, right? And I believe that's because, correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, I learned this as a kid. So I believe it's because the female, she could pick up the eggs and when she sees the little egg spots, uh, on the male's fin there, she'll go to like pick that egg up because she thinks it's an egg and then he can like shoot a little bit more sperm to like fertilize what she's got in her mouth. I, I'm pretty sure that's right. It was always something that like all the dudes that came to the aquarium <laughs> felt the need to tell me about. Uh, oh no. It's like, oh, and it's like, yeah, okay. That's, that's nice. I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. And, and like, yeah, the whole point of the egg spots are to have the female try to basically get some sperm with the eggs when she's trying to pick them up. So mm -hmm. yeah. Look at how well we navigated that without any jokes. Good work guys. <laughs> <laughs> I can go back and do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. We'll insert some jokes later. Yeah. Insert. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so the, the other thing I should say, kind of like with the, with the betta fish, the, so, so this time it's the female, right. Who just is holding the eggs in her mouth. And this is a great way to keep them safe because, uh, you know, no one can really get to them when they're in there. Um, the only problem is, is that, uh, it takes a while for those eggs. So they will go all the way from egg to, um, a, like a little larva with a yolk sac. And eventually like to like little free swimming guys and it takes a like they're so used to living in there that they can be in there for easily like a month or so i'd have to look up the actual timeline but they i remember when i would breed them they would just 
they would be in there for a long time. And the female yeah. doesn't eat during that time. So she can get kind of weak and, and skinny. Uh, and the mm-hmm. downside to that is that if she's weak at all and you have aggressives in the tank, they will be keen to that and they could just beat her up and kill her and take the babies anyway, or they'll just beat her up and take the babies. So it's a really rough world out there. <laughs> yeah. One thing I like to do if I go to a, like a zoo or an aquarium that has a big tank of all these Mbuna cichlids mm-hmm. is try to find the ones that are holding babies. Mm. Cause you can see them. Cause it's almost like they've got like their mouth. You can see their mouth is full. It's like their mouth looks different and it's like, um, like their chin is like jutting out a little bit. I don't know how to describe that part of the tissue there, like on their, their mandible or their maxilla or whatever. There's like, it's like they've got a, a mouth that's full of like, if you're holding water in your mouth, right. They just mm. look like they have a mouthful. And so when I go to a, a zoo or an aquarium, I'm like, that one's holding, that one's holding. And I'll tell, <laughs> I'll tell my husband or whoever I'm with, like, look at that. That's eggs or babies. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. They also like kind of, they keep them clean, right? They're not going to get like algae on them or anything because they're like kind of like being tossed around in the mouth and they're aerated pretty well because there's a constant water flow. So Mm -hmm. it's really kind of an amazing adaptation and it works really well. So it's another amazing behavior of the wild world of fish, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know. It just goes to show that fish are so caring. They are. (laughs) (laughs) See, we probably learned some things. I bet you people listening are like, what the heck? I never do. Yeah. hundred percent. Fish are cool. I feel like I brought my wife around to fish. Like she did not know anything about them. And then I like over time, just because I would nerd out about stuff. And then she'd be like, wow, they're actually really neat. Actually. That's cool. Nice. (laughs) So the last one we want to talk about uh, for, I guess, part one of our fish repro uh, lecture, I don't know, (laughs) episode is egg barriers, right? So Christine already talked about the the pirate perch and how it buries its eggs. Uh, But there are other species that do this as well. Uh, And namely, the one we're going to talk about is something called a killifish. Now, now killifish are from Africa, from, I think from mostly from like the southern part of the continent. And they're a really cool species because there's like multiple levels of, um, uh, why can I never think of this word? Because I'm an idiot. Uh, evolutionary adaptation. I just, the, the word evolution just like goes out of my brain and I just can't remember it. I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Anyway, so the first thing that they do, which is kind of amazing, is they have a, well, at least with, you know, with certain species. So like, let's say the, the Nothobranchus uh, genus, right? Like that's a, there's a genus of, of, of animals there. And these guys have a very short life cycle. A lot of them have very short life cycles, meaning that they just get to adulthood very fast and they also just age out very fast. So they're very useful for aging studies um, in the lab which is great. But the reason why they do that is because there's rainy season in this part of Africa. So what happens is, is the eggs are like, the eggs are capable of going into something called diapause, which just means that they're able to like stop development, right? Like just somewhere along the way, they just stop development and they do not hatch. Right. And they could stay there like paused in, in that state for almost a year. Right. And Uh, so during the dry season, these eggs are just like somewhere buried in the mud and just living there in this kind of like moist or or mostly dry environment. And they're, they're surviving. The eggs have a capability to survive, like not in water, which also makes them really great for the hobby. Because then as I took advantage of when I was a kid, you could just order killifish eggs and they send you it in this little tiny envelope of moss and you can just like hatch out 
uh, eggs, which is hatch out fish, which is awesome. Um, I did so, that too. I totally did. Did you that. do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get them in the, they'd be in like tropical fish hobbyists, like ads that you could like get, like mail order fish eggs. Hell so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. So basically, when the rainy season comes, whenever that happens, uh, you know, these like little let's say an elephant stomped a hole or something like that. Like these little like ephemeral ponds, these little uh, uh, ditches where there was no water before will fill with water. Um, and then that will trigger those eggs to start developing again or to hatch again. And so as soon as those eggs uh, hatch and the, they become fry, they're quickly trying to get to adulthood before the pond dries up, right? Because if they if they only get halfway and then the pond dries up, that's the end of that generation, right? Like they just, mm. that's the end of the species. Um but uh, these guys are able to get to adulthood in like a really short amount of time. So the lifespan of like, uh, let's say Notobranchus furs arrive, which is a, which is called the turquoise killifish. This one is the, the entire lifespan is four to six months, right? Which is the second shortest life of any vertebrate animal. Um, and so I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly how long it takes for them to get to adulthood, like spawning capability, but it's very quick uh, and they grow very, very fast. Uh, so we have them in lab and it's quite interesting to see how quickly they grow. Um, and so then once they get to adulthood, they uh, the male and the males and females will find each other. They don't mate for life, um, but they do mate and they will spawn and then they will like bury the eggs down kind of below the substrate. So they don't have a crazy burying technique. They're just kind of like like flipping their fins and trying to like dig them down kind of like below the surface of the substrate if they can. Uh, but that's still considered burying in my opinion. So that's why they're in this category. So uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's kind of it. Oh, I was just going to say, I see killifish becoming very popular in lab animal science. And I'm wondering, like, how are they kept in a laboratory setting if they kind of, you know, like you said, they're egg barriers. And so they, mm -hmm. you know, put their eggs in mud. Like how what does their enclosure look like? So for us, we keep them in your standard like zebrafish system tanks. Like we kind of use the same thing. But the differences are is that we usually only keep them in pairs or like individually housed. And then we in each individual tank where we're spawning them, we put essentially like a small nest box with uh, like sand. And so oh, wow. they have that little nest box. And so that's kind of they know like they're they they know to lay their eggs in that because it's just like the best possible place. Like they kind of instinctually know just like for like when I used to breed leopard geckos, like you'd put that like egg box there and it was like they'd be like, oh, like a moist, dark environment like. <laughs> You keep like with saying soil. Moist, moist, <laughs> moist, 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 moist. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> He's already dead. Everyone leaves. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't help it. All right, guys, this is the repro episode. You guys sure. say moist a lot. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how we do it. And then you just pull those uh, little nest boxes out, and then you sort through. You have to do it under a scope, but you can sort through and find the eggs. So that's the way we do it. Awesome. Cool. I, there's another, they're not true killies, but there's like mangrove killifish as well that people keep in labs. And those, well, we'll talk about those in the next episode. They have their own interesting reproductive strategy, but they'll actually lay their eggs outside of water. They like stick them on a surface 
Um, oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And then they also <laughs> don't live very long. So I don't think so. But they're not true Killies. They just look like Killies. So everyone calls them that. All right, guys. I think we got to, that's it, right? We're going to wrap up uh, part one of fish reproduction. There's so much fish repro to talk about that we got to split it into two episodes. So this is part <laughs> one. We got a lot of wet and wild stuff in the marine sector that we got to talk about, but we'll do that in the next episode. Heck yeah. Thanks for listening to Getting Fishy with it. You can find our website with show notes at gettingfishypod.substack.com. You can find us on Twitter at gettingfishypod and on Instagram at gettingfishypod. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for getting fishy with it if you want to drop us an email you can send your complaints or questions to gettingfishypod at gmail.com thank you so much for listening our theme music is best time by fast sounds and our audio is edited by amber park chiadini we've been getting fishy with it so keep schooling my friends because knowledge is power 